Hello and welcome back to Real Time Strategy, a podcast all about the gaming industry. I'm one of your hosts this week, Sam Mosier, not joined by Caitlin. Uh, she's in Germany this week attending Gamescom. So joining me is what I'm going to start calling our Real Time Strategy correspondent, Nick Shepard. Nick, thanks for joining us this week. I, I was going to call myself a substitute teacher um, because I'm not <laughs> as good as the real thing. But, you know, you can probably screw around a little bit more and get away with more with me on. So that works pretty well. Bit more fun. <laughs> No offense, Caitlin, if you're listening. I know you're when you listen. Uh, but today, Nick and I are very excited to be joined by seasoned game journalist Patrick Klepek about his gaming and parenting newsletter, Crossplay. Patrick has been covering games for over 20 years, so you may know him from his current work as editor and co-founder of Remap Radio and editor and founder of Crossplay, which we'll be discussing today. Or you may know Patrick from his work at Vice Media's Waypoint, Kotaku, Giant Bomb, G4TV, and more. Patrick, did I miss anything? Yeah. So if you were to go backwards, yeah, it would be, yeah, it would be, it would be, so it's like rematch slash crossplay, then Waypoint, then Kotaku, then Giant Bomb, then um, EGM 2.0, the EGM we don't talk about, then um, G4 <laughs> TV, then my hand's going, starting to go off my monitor, uh, and then MTV <laughs> News, then OneUp.com. And then before that is all like my uh, college and high school career being like fr- uh, freelancing and and starting when um, I attended E3 at the uh, the age of 14, E3 1998 in Atlanta, Georgia, um, with my dad wearing a pink badge that said underage attendee uh, was um, <laughs> I, I, I intended E3 long enough that they started putting up signs that said you have to be 18 to attend and I would always find a way around it. It's like, no, you don't for other people. That might be true for me. It is not. You're, you're like the guy sneaking into the Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. Like what was your reaction when it came to Atlanta? Uh, well, that was the first one I went to, so I didn't have any real yeah. uh, context uh, for it. You know, I, I traveled there. My dad was um, the Super Bowl uh, uh, reference is, uh, it's funny because my dad worked for, have you watched football games? There's a big red logo on a lot of the helmets that say Riddell. And he was a salesperson and then an executive at Riddell sports. And so he attended the Super Bowl every year. In fact, I went one year. I'm a Chicago bears fan. And I, I watched the green Bay Packers win the Super Bowl live and in person. One of the most miserable experiences of my life. Um, but uh, he was a, a salesperson. And when I uh, went up to my parents' bedroom one day and pitched them on like, Hey, there's this, video game uh like a conference i know these people on the the internet uh it's in atlanta (laughs) georgia um like god bless my parents they asked me to leave the room and then my dad decided like they were like i don't know that sounds like he's thinking about jobs and a career we should encourage that i guess and so my dad managed to figure out some way to have a, a sales meeting in atlanta like he was high enough in the company that he could just invent a sales meeting to happen in Atlanta. And he, he flew down there with me and, and like walked around. He went to appointments with me. I had an appointment with like Konami and some other companies that did not know they had made an appointment with a 14 year old and did not know that his, <laughs> that, that 14 year old's father was going to sit in on the demo. Um, but um, that is, that is how I got started in all this. That is incredible. Um, were you treated like an adult or was it like, oh, like the, the kid reporter is here. Like, let's be cutesy. Or like, how, how did that kind of go as a 14-year-old? It was a mix of both. Like, I, I made some lifelong friends uh, at that age, um, uh, both in terms of folks who would be really influential on 
my career, like even to this day. And then also PR people that looked at me at this, like, as this like very funny unicorn. I used to work with um, a PR person named Rob Fleischer, uh, who was over at Sandbox uh, these days. And uh, Rob, uh, at some point, was doing PR for Rockstar during the like Oni and like GTA three uh, kind of days of, of Rockstar. And they were doing an event for, I think Oni, which is back when Bungie developed that game. Um, uh, those were their last kind of like third party things that they did. Um, and they had a big budget cause it was Rockstar. And the uh, Rob uh, Fleischer, the PR person reached out to me and was like, Hey, I was in high school at the time. I don't know what, uh, what year, but like, what if, uh, like, what if we sent a, uh, like a limo to your school and picked you up? And I was like, no, that's cool. And also highly embarrassing. And instead I was like, but what if you sent it to my house? And so a limo came to my house, picked me up and, uh, took me to downtown Chicago to for some goofy, you know, I just watched a presentation and then like went home in, in this limo. It was one of the, one of the more bizarre experiences of my life. But uh, when you do this for long enough, you can you can start adding up quite a few of those. That's amazing. Was uh, what was your most memorable appointment from that first D three? Uh, probably the one that I didn't take. Um, which was I <laughs> uh, the way I would do uh, interviews back then because I was so most of the demos I had booked at that E three, which is only a handful, were just like go in. Um, someone would hand you a controller or you'd watch someone with a controller and they'd play a game. Pretty, pretty standard stuff. Not frankly, not too different than how a lot of things are handled today. But one of them was like, I think there was, uh, some Castlevania game was in development. I don't think it was symphony of the night. I think it was in an N64 game that maybe didn't come out. Um, I can't recall the specifics, but I had at home come up with a bunch of questions, printed them out in bullet point form and was just going to basically read off of them uh, at this interview with like a little recorder I had. Um, and I got tremendously nervous. Like, I couldn't do it. Like I got up to stand in line to go to the desk to check in and just like, no, like I can't, I, 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 I can't, I'm like way too anxious to do this. And so I went back uh, and told my dad that the appointment got canceled. He's like, oh, okay. Like, truly, <laughs> I was just like far too nervous to do it. And so I just decided to walk away. Little did you know later you would be uh, picked up for uh, by limo for a PR event. <laughs> like <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But you got to start somewhere, you know, canceling your own yes. appointment and then get picked up by a limo, you know, a couple years later. You were just holding out for the rider. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In hindsight, it all looks that way. At the time, it's mostly just felt me like me crapping my pants because I'd never interviewed a person before. Um, but um, uh, you know, it's definitely I could paint a much cooler picture of it. Uh, uh, picture of it these days. <laughs> well, uh, Patrick, to jump forward uh, to today, uh, we'll be talking about crossplay. But first, uh, we do like to start the show with a bit of a fun opening question. And the hot topic on all TV viewers' mind this week is Ahsoka, which I did see on Twitter that you're watching despite having never seen Rebels. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. That is correct. I am. Uh, Deeply familiar with everything Star Wars live action, uh, but not uh, have not watched any of the the animated shows. And the the closer we got to Ahsoka, the more it became clear I was not going to have time to t- catch up on any of that. Um, and so I, you know, I decided to just uh, you know dive straight in and 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 watch the the show as it's being presented, which seems to be as a show that is okay with you not having 
seen any of that. And, and it's more just kind of background and context for these characters. Uh, and so, yeah, I watched the, the first two episodes and, and, and found myself uh, quite, quite liking it. I, I think it's really well made. Um, I think it's totally readable if you're unfamiliar with, uh, you know, uh, Sabrine Wen and Sabin, Sabine, Sabine Wren, right? That's one of the, that's the, yeah, you yeah, got yeah, it, Sabine. Uh, yes. Um, and obviously Ahsoka is present in uh, a couple episodes of The Mandalorian if you're keeping up with that. But yeah, I, I had a great time with it. I, I was uh, definitely very nervous that it wasn't going to be accessible to someone like myself, but found by the end of the second episode, I was really engaged and excited to see uh, where the, the season goes. Nick and I had we had expressed excitement Tuesday morning about watching it after work, but we've saved our thoughts. So I actually don't know. Nick, are you in agreement? Are, are you as a Rebels fan and, you know, aficionado? How did Ahsoka land for you? So it's awesome, right? Like it, it's incredibly well produced. They're clearly like putting the love, care and attention that it needs into it for me. Um, but I felt like I just watched an extended epilogue of Rebels, and I kind of was hoping the story would move for uh, move forward faster. I get why they can't, um, because I'm, Patrick, I'm blaming you specifically for this, but <laughs> uh, you know, like I, I get it, and I'm excited to see where it goes. But the first two episodes, I was kind of like, I know that, know that, know that, know that, know that. Oh, yeah, cool. I, there's Chopper, you know. I'm like, oh yeah, there's Hera. Like, oh cool, um, but. Having to reintroduce those characters to a whole new audience, I think is it's a tough needle to thread. Um, but I was happy. I'm going to keep watching. Uh, I, I like to see lightsaber fights again, so <laughs> I'm all in. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. I was as someone who also had seen all of Clone Wars and Rebels. I was honestly a little skeptical of the live actionification of it all, partly because. Disney's other live action endeavors with their classic uh, animated movies have not landed so much as well with me and I think with a lot of people. Um, but it's interesting to see them not just, okay, we're not remaking Rebels or Clone Wars in live action. We are continuing the story in live action. And it's pretty exciting, like I have to admit, to see Rosario Dawson play Ahsoka and Mary Elizabeth Winstead come in as Hera. So, and with all that being said, because it's not just a remake of these cartoons, actually driving the story forward i'm interested in you know there's some really cool exploration of the force lore that happens in rebels that i'm excited to see play out i hope ultimately it's all in favor of um you know a character driven story that's what you know makes andor my favorite disney plus project um since that service launched uh but even if we just get some cool like star wars easter eggs and Thrawn content. I'll, I'll leave pretty happy. Yeah, I think when, uh, gosh, what is it? Hair to the Empire? Is that the first Thrawn book? Yes. I don't remember. That mm -hmm. came out when I was a kid and I like rushed to the bookstore to buy that thing. And then I read a hundred EU novels for like years and years and years and years before they made any of these secondary movies or TV shows or all of that stuff. It's really cool to see having that knowledge and like see the um, the show director go back and be like, oh, I like this part of it. I'm going to put that in the show. I don't, this this is a little too much. Like uh, Triclops, the Cyclop uh, clone of Palpatine, like, yeah, we'll, we'll move past that one. That's <laughs> all um, you know, there's just some, it, it's fun. Yeah, it's kind of surreal. Uh, I love the Heir to the Empire trilogy. And I remember when my dad gave me those books, he pitched it to me as like, pretend these are episode 
seven, eight, and nine. And for years, that's what they were for me before, you know, Disney acquired and Lucasfilm had actually made episodes seven, eight, and nine. But even now, like, you know, two decades later, it's it's pretty surreal to actually see elements of those book realized books realized in live action. Yeah, it definitely seems like they're, cause I know all the, 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 the plus projects, uh, Mandalorian, Ahsoka are supposed to kind of funnel up into a, a film at some point from uh, Dave Filoni, the uh, showrunner of Rebels and, and Clone Wars, and who's been kind of a, uh, a creative consultant on Mandalorian, and then obviously is, is spearheading Ahsoka. And it, it seems like he's it, it kind of like he's headed in a direction of doing a job he already did, which was to take all the weaknesses of the prequel trilogy <laughs> and find a way to make them interesting, thus retroactively making elements of the prequels better because you have a this greater context from from the work that Filoni was doing in these in these different shows and that now in the live action world he's going to be tasked with br- like bridging <laughs> like the original trilogy with the modern trilogy because you know you jump into a force awakens and it's like what the empire's right. back why don't worry about it like they're just back <laughs> like they're just back and it's very easy to imagine that the conclusion of Ahsoka and the Mandalorian and whatever that film, which is, you know, kind of has been said to be an adaptation or at least inspired by heir to the empire is like, Hey, like Thrawn will, you know, is going to lose eventually. Like he, obviously like he's not a character present in the modern trilogy, but that, Hey, what ends up leading to the first order is all of this. Like the reason all of that setup is there for uh, a force awaken. The force awakens is because of what's happening over here. So it's kind of wild to see, once for Lucas, another for Abrams is going to come in and just like, yeah, I'm going to explain all the storytelling that you didn't really think through when you were when you were putting it together. Right. It's like his entire job can be summed up by the line of somehow Palpatine returned. Yeah. And like, and he's like, uh, how? Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm figuring it out. I'm figuring it out. And I, you know what? I mean, he did it once. I, 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 I couldn't I, I don't think it's a huge stretch to imagine him doing it again. Yeah, yo, the nickname "the Fixer." Uh, you totally beat me to it, Nick. I would just love to like see his reaction. He was sitting watching the first cut of Rise of Skywalker, and he and he hears that. And he's like, "Damn it!" He's like, "I'm gonna have to do it again." <laughs> or he's sitting there being like, "Man, I just signed up for like seven TV shows. This yeah. is great. <laughs> like, look, I can see a paycheck coming. I have so much work ahead of me." <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of work, uh, let's get into our topic this week. Crossplay, parenting, gaming. Uh, starting off with, of course, Patrick, for those listening and unfamiliar, what is Crossplay? Yeah, Crossplay is a Substack newsletter that I launched in early June, not long after I uh, lost my job over at uh, Vice running uh, Waypoint uh, for the last uh, six and a half years or so. And really what it was is that I uh, I've got two kids, uh, one who's about to turn seven uh, uh, tomorrow, actually, uh, as we record this. Uh, another one uh, who is about three and a half. Um, and she's always clarifying, I'm not three, I'm three and a half. I'm like, okay, you're three and a half. <laughs> Stop saying three. So when she listens to this podcast 20 years from now, she'll know that I was, <laughs> I was keeping her feedback in mind. Um, and I really couldn't find, like, I was spending so much of my time thinking about my kids, their relationship with technology, their relationship with video games, my role as a parent navigating those things, the ch- my changing relationship with video games as a result of being a parent and having my time squeezed in different ways. 
the kinds of things that I do play or don't play in front of my children. Uh, and it didn't really seem to fit within like the work I was often doing at Waypoint and then at what we kind of spun off and relaunched as, as Remap. Um, that's a little more traditional. Here are the big games of the week that we're playing, industry news, that sort of thing. And so my thought was maybe there's a space where I can talk about these topics and not just talk about them, but apply, you know, this 20 plus years of uh, reporting and expertise to this topic, because I, I don't see a lot of rigorous reporting happening about things that are meant for kids. Um, and so maybe there is a, a space where I can create a community where people can get together and talk about that. And maybe people will want to read and uh, pay for uh, work that are investigating topics uh, in and around this. And so, yeah, I, I launched that in in early June, and it's been a, a really exciting success so far. Uh, not only are, you know, thousands of people reading it, but, you know, I have a significant portion of people also paying for it and supporting the work to make it uh, worth uh, my time uh, to, to invest in now and invest more time in the future. And it's allowed me to do all sorts of interviews and explore topics that otherwise I I just would say no to or or not have the time for, you know, I think like the most recent example was Apple Arcade's, um, I think, pretty excellent Hello Kitty kind of Animal Crossing uh, game, kind of matches up Animal Crossing and Breath of the Wild. And like for folks who are doing thoughtful work at games aimed at demographics that in, at least include children, they're clearly like many of them are thoughtful people doing thoughtful things. And there's not really a space for them to explain here are the thoughtful things that we're, we're doing. And so um, it's been really exciting to have an opportunity to like talk to a designer on a Hello Kitty video game um, and wonder how do they think about microtransactions and how do they think about UI when it relates to, you know, a five-year-old versus a 10-year-old. Um, and so just, yeah, it's been really exciting and interesting and, and frankly invigorating uh, because I've, I've kind of written about a lot of the same or similar-ish topics a lot over the years. Um, and this is, this is something completely new. Yeah. When crossplay launched and of course I saw the, the beat you were covering, it felt a like shocking that something like that didn't exist, that that wasn't a beat being covered within any sort of either gaming or mainstream publication. Like you look at, uh, parenting sites, like the, the, most games you're probably going to find are probably a board games, card games, and maybe the newest Nintendo thing. Uh, mm -hmm. So, I mean, was that working advice? And like you said, not finding the lane for it. Was that a need you had identified while there and had kind of been stewing in the background about, a, you know, reporting need that could be filled? It was kind of just a theory, um, you know, more than more than necessarily knowing if there would be people that um, would show up. Um, I think part of the reason you don't see a lot of it is because, I mean, frankly, the like economic environment to get paid to write about things is extremely challenging. Um, and then, um, you know, like how many parents like it's, I think it was just a it was more of an economic question than it was an audience question. And my thought was, if I can make enough money. Uh, running the core business of of remap, which uh, that more or less like kind of takes care of paying my bills. Can I play the long game and try and create an audience for this type of work? Um, and and so far, I found that to be uh, true. That there are are people who want to get together and talk and discuss and learn about the intricacies of 
you know, screen time on different platforms because they all work differently. They all have different features. They all have different restrictions. You know, uh, for example, on uh, on, a, on an iPad, you can restrict on a per app basis how much time your kid is spending in it. Um, uh, and one of the loopholes that my child found when I said <laughs> no more YouTube time was that they could go on their Switch and go into the eShop and they could watch whatever trailers they wanted without any sort of restrictions because Nintendo's screen time options do not extend to the eShop. And further, I learned from somebody else, I guess there is a YouTube app on the Switch and you cannot set screen time uh, restrictions on the YouTube app specifically. Their screen time restrictions are broadly around uh, the the games that you play. Um, so it's stuff like that where trying to spend my time navigating these confusing spaces on behalf of not just parents, but like caregivers or people who are around uh, children um, and trying to create a guide for them uh, uh, to, to navigate these like really confusing and messy questions that even if you play video games, you know, a lot are involved in the video game industry. It's like, I'm, I'm theoretically like the ideal person to know how all this works. And I have a bunch of questions. So if I have a bunch of questions, my guess is uh, a lot of other people do too. I, I'm one of them. Uh, I, I've got a nine month old <laughs> at home and he's, he's our first and we're, we're navigating all of this stuff and trying to figure it out and all of that. And um, yeah. I saw this study that came out uh, in coincidence with Gamescom. It was all about the average age of uh, European gamers. And it's up to 32 when even a year ago, I think it was like 28, which is pretty wild. Um, and to me says, I think you're way ahead of the curve. Like if the average gamer is 32, that means a fair number of them have kids and probably want their kids yeah. to participate in one of their big hobbies. And yet there are really yeah. no outlets beyond like, is it safe to play GTA in front of my kid? Hint, no. <laughs> um, that exists, right? Like that was kind of like, if you look even at, you know, the big sites like IGN, 10 years ago, the only time you would encounter kid stuff was, oh, this is rotting my child's brain. Five years ago, <laughs> it was, uh, oh, they're, they're making a cute little kitty game once in a while on mobile. And then now it's almost even non-existent. It's, it's, it's somehow gone down. And yet I think um, a lot more parents are playing games. So I don't even have a question. I just, I, I'm stoked on it. I'm, I'm a subscriber. I'm a reader and I'm excited to learn about how to eventually convert my kid into the correct opinion that uh, PlayStation <laughs> is a superior console. But um, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, I, and, and even that, you know, I, uh, the, the feedback I get from readers ends up leading me to asking new questions. I think a, a great example of this is, I had a, a mailbag question uh, that came in from somebody that was a, um, you know, like, how do I, you know, my, my kid plays lots of like very kid centric, broadly uninteresting or mechanically simple games on, you know, their tablet. How do I get them in, uh, into like quote unquote real games? Um, and even like using language like that, it, it has a lot to unpack because I had a reader uh, respond in, in the comments over that mailbag. They're like, Hey, you know, my kids are like young teens. And uh, even when they were younger than that, like both boys and girls loved playing kind of like doll dress up games, um, like games where you're just kind of manipulating different objects on the screen. Sometimes they have interactions. Sometimes you're just moving um, them about a space. And like these are and, and you know, the, the, the person's point was like, these are totally like legitimate experiences, um, games, toys, however you want to characterize them. And that you know, some of the struggle for parents who are thinking about 
how do their kids then interact with that world is like what we consider what you grew up as a video game. Like that definition has expanded. Uh, and that led me to, you know, interviewing, and I haven't published this yet, but you know, the, the folks who work on the Toka line of games, like one of the most popular ones being Toka world, which is sort of a, these kind of like you buy these little stickers that you put around these different spaces, whether it's a hospital or an aquarium or a SpongeBob world, and they do little interactions. It's beautiful art. It's very simple. The underlying microtransactions and like economy feels very safe compared to a lot of different um, kid-centric projects. And um, it was just really neat to then talk to them about how do you like, how do you build these things? How do you think about the audience? Um, or even like just kind of like behind the scenes stuff where they had problem recruiting people because they didn't consider what they were building to be games, but they considered them to be digital toys. But it turns out it's very difficult to recruit developers unless you call them games. And so then they started like putting in their recruiting that like we're building games and they do explain how they actually think about them as digital toys because just of the language we use to even talk about what is, what, what is a game. Um, and so uh, yeah, exploring topics like that, that I think every parent is encountering, even if they're not thinking of it uh, that way. I think it, part of what I'm hoping to do is provide like language and context for the world that's in front of their kids to kind of take things off of their plate of um, whether it's something as simple as every month I'm publishing like a guide to sort of like the family friendly games that are coming out in the month ahead with sort of like ratings and trailers and descriptions um, or you know, what I'm hoping to roll out in uh, throughout this year is like intricate guides to how all of the screen time functions work on each of the platforms where it's like, hey, I bought my kid a switch. The uh, I don't understand how all these systems work. Are they good? Are they bad? Should I even bother with them? And like my hope is to provide guides to all of that stuff. So, um, you know, you can people can use that as a as a resource. <laughs> I saw I Nick it. put the the prayer hands up. Very thankful for yeah. that. <laughs> I need. I need. Oh my god! I'm so bad at technology. You got. You've got a little bit of time. Nine. You know, nine nine months. You're still in that like glorious space where you can still watch violent films and games in front of them. And you don't have to worry about it. And like I remember. I remember that. And like now, it's like you know, I play Final Fantasy. You know, sixteen in front of them, and it's like, oh, right, I forgot. There's a bunch of f bombs in this. And then my kids like, did they just say? And then they just say the word, and I'm like, yes. <laughs> They did. It's like that. We're not supposed to say that word. I was like, I know dad's going to put the PlayStation into rest mode and we're going to do something else. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. When I was growing up, the only games my parents let me play were uh, learning company games. So it was mm. all, it was like math blaster or like, yep. uh, it was like, I forget what it was like spell Island or something like that. And you, and it would have like legitimate Mario Mario Party style mini games essentially, but they were all about like learning how to spell or your multiplication tables or stuff like that. Um, but I, I see no one covering that stuff. I don't even know if it still exists. Um, is that something that you want to dive into, or is it more like these are games purely for entertainment and they're made as an artistic property and they're good or bad or they're they have different various effects, etc. No, I'd love to. And like my, my kid is an interact, like a lot of those exist as sort of like subscription services as opposed to like, I mean, there are like one-off uh, games or, or kind of like pieces of software that focus on math and reading. Um, I think a lot of that sort of like edutainment stuff as it like kind of used to be called when we were all that age, like playing, uh, uh, you know, number blasters and math blasters and, and stuff like that. It has been rolled up into different services that try to present it to kids in, like more entertaining ways. Um, and like my, uh, my, uh, 
you know, my, my oldest, when she was first starting to grok reading and having some difficulty, like getting over the initial hoops, it's like there were like some really interesting phonics based games where like her favorite part was like she got to customize the look of her avatar. And so she would fumble her way through like these different phonics quizzes. And, uh, you know, it's hard to tell how much does that individual game help her on her road to reading because a lot of that stuff is just a bunch of things adding up to comprehension. But like it like it, it got her to sit down and she'd be like, hey, you know, YouTube time is over. So, like, well, it's like there's no one to play with and you're busy. Can I still use my iPad? I was like, well, yeah, you could have 15 minutes on like the phonics game. She's like, OK. And then like she thinks she's just getting more iPad time. And at least for me, she's doing something a little more um uh, you know, valuable than, than just watching, you know, videos uh, of something or, or jumping onto the latest scary Roblox game that she needs to show <laughs> for the, for the hundredth time. But it, but it goes to show there's just, I think there's a, there's a, there's a huge range of topics. Like I, part of what was very exciting about it was I could see myself doing this for years and, uh, there would not only am I going to discover new topics as my kids age and I encounter those problems myself, but there's just a whole range of, different types of software and experiences that I don't think have been given like kind of like the proper context and, 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 and scrutiny, uh, oftentimes. I mean, even in, you know, when I was looking at, I did a feature, uh, fairly recently about a, a company that, um, you know, has more extensive screen time software. Like, do you want this, this software to actually track the chats that your kids are having when they're in Fortnite? Um, and, uh, because maybe you're, child has experienced bullying. And so you would like something a little more specific um, and potentially intrusive to be watching what they're doing because you're, you know, you're, you've actually had an experience that warrants that level uh, of deeper uh, scrutiny of what they're doing online and how they are either treating others or being treated. Well, you know, it's like, I looked around, it's like, well, how do they handle their data collection? Like, is it stored? Is it reused? Can you opt out? Um, and those questions were not present on websites or various companies that do things like that. And it's like, this, this seems like sort of basic work that if you had like a proper level of scrutiny on, on companies that are doing this, even if they're doing work that um, would be worthwhile to parents or as a hoop, they're willing to judge, jump through. Um, uh, you know, it's like, I, I wanted to be able to in a position to ask those questions and provide those answers to people who are thinking about it. So Patrick, speaking of those people asking the questions, looking for answers, what has surprised you? I mean, one of the coolest things about Substack is the community feature of it. It's mm -hmm. a lot more personal and you feel one-to-one -one with your audience as opposed to more traditional, you know, publications. In these two months, what has surprised you about like the people you're interacting with, what they're interested in, what they're asking about? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the ability, you know, not only is there a community on Substack itself, but, you know, when you're a subscriber at Crossplay, you get access to a, a Discord where it's a mixture of parents, parents-to-be who are just interested in these topics and kind of wrapping their head around it, people who are kind enough just to support my work and like <laughs> don't have any interest in learning about what's going on with parents and technology and how those intersect. And I, I think the thing that has uh, surprised me the most has just been sort of like the zeal of, of folks that um, have responded to the topic and, and like being able to provide me with uh, not only feedback, but just like new things to pursue and to go ask questions about. Like I was, I was worried early on, like I'm new to this. I don't really have a path to follow. I don't really have a, formula to follow? Am I going to find enough to to write about, um, you know, so that I can do two to three pieces every week? And and what I found is like having this community that is interested and engaged um, 
they've always got questions. And the nice part for me is that I'm in a position to, you know, hopefully find them answers, which has always been sort of my favorite part of being a reporter or journalist, a critic, however you, however you want to characterize it, talking about sort of like traditional uh, games, like the space that I've worked in for, for decades now has been like, Hey, I'm privileged enough to be in a position where you're like, why does that thing work this way? It's like, well, I don't, I don't know. Like I'll go, I'll go find <laughs> out. And so I think that's been the most rewarding part about all of this was like, uh, like recently I did a, a feature on a series of uh, board and card games that were developed um, by one of the co-founders of Exploding Kittens, uh, which is a popular card game. And they developed a series of games with their uh, started as their four year old. And then over the course of the like year plus of development became a five year old. And the reason they developed the games was because they found a lot of the kid centric board and card games. Your you know, a lot of the stuff you would normally think to play like your Uno's and whatever are very luck based and, and seem designed around randomness in a way that can be very frustrating for kids and don't provide a very satisfying skill arc for children to kind of wrap their heads around. And so they shipped four different games. um, And like, I played them all with my family and they're all, they're all really interesting in different ways. And the one that would like stood out the most was um, uh, what's the, I'll have to, I'll look up the title in just a second, but it's about like my best worst favorite uh, ice cream. Um, And I just read that entry. Yeah. Yes. And it's, it's a, it's a really uh, the best worst ice cream uh, is what it's called. Um, And then from there watching a bunch of people like, let me know, like, Hey, I, I bought this for my family. Like we had a blast, like with my kid with it last night, that is really neat to be able to, like kind of be this flashlight for an audience to not only answer questions, but point them in the directions to things that might enrich um, or enhance like their personal lives and their lives with their kids. Like that is tremendously satisfying and the sort of like direct response that um, you don't always get out of, out of your work. I was just going to ask about that. Like how have you seen people respond or engage with this at a higher percentage just because it's about essentially their kids and, and, you know, the future of their kids. It's, it's funny. I used to work with this company called uh, diapers.com and mm-hmm. the CEO of that company recently bought the Minnesota Timberwolves. It did quite well. Um, wow. and his whole thesis well, people was, need diapers. Um, you <laughs> right? know that. I know that. Right? Um, his, his whole thesis was uh, parents will spend an unlimited amount of money on children. And learning about how to help their kids or products that help their kids or whatever it was. And so I'm just, I'm curious. That, if that, that was one of my theories too. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, part, you know, um, it's, it's, it's a really difficult environment in order to get paid to write. Like the opportunities to do that are, are limited. Um, when I lost, um, my position over at Vice uh, and I had roughly kind of a month to figure things out um, before the paycheck stopped showing up. I mean, I didn't have a, I did not, I did not have a job offer. I didn't have a single interview for a full-time like writing reporting position. It is just, you know, that bleak of a landscape or it turns out everyone secretly doesn't, doesn't like me um, anymore, which is entirely possible. Like, you know, you do it for long enough, you make enough people mad, but I, I think it speaks to how uh, there are fewer chairs than ever before to do that kind of work. Um, and, so one of my, the- like I am, most of my job, I've made peace with the fact that I make most of my money 
talking into a microphone instead of writing words, even though what got me interested in this work in the first place was um, writing. And so on one hand, like go where the audience is, like this is how they're interested in hearing about games or stories. And so I'm willing to to bend in that direction and, and do the best possible job I can. But in my heart of hearts, I like writing. And so Substack was a place where, wow, um, not only is it a like pretty decent platform to publish things that makes it easy, people seem to be paying like for writing on there, um, which is odd because that's uh, difficult to get people to cough up money uh, to do. And so, yeah, like it is 100% that my operating theory was, um, okay, Substack is a platform where people are paying money to read words, like check. Um, I've got two kids and I've spent an ungodly amount of money, willing and unwillingly um, on them. <laughs> There are probably other parents that are uh, interested in doing the same. So check. Uh, and I was like, I wonder if I can combine the two of those where can I pitch on enriching your life and your children's life uh, and giving you information that is hard to find or understand elsewhere, like in one place. And not only that, but you get access to a community where wherever you're not getting, whatever you're not getting from me, you might be able to get from that community. Um, and so that was... Uh, you know, sort of my my operating theory. And I was lucky enough to have this other job on the side that allowed me to explore this as a like increasingly viable side project where I'm not in a position where I could drop what I'm doing at Remap and do this full time. But it is um, with like my kids don't know this. Kids don't listen to this podcast. Um, Seven year old. <laughs> like we're going to Disney like next spring. And like part of the reason I can do that and not sweat it um, too badly is because like I, I've had parents who have had the backing or people who care about the work had the backing of this. And like, that's incredibly cool and humbling and gratifying that the theory has kind of been proven out. And um, I think has a lot of room to grow. I mean, the it's, 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 uh, it's gotten me back to PAX, you know um, like I'm going there next week on behalf of Crossplay. I'm actually bringing, also, children don't listen to this. Like they have badges to go to PAX and to go to the Nintendo Live event up there where they're going to get a guided tour. Um, and it's like, this is where your dad's connections are coming in to help you, children. You don't know it. You don't understand it, but they are. Um, and um, <laughs> it's cool. That I'm going to go speak to a completely... I've done PAX a number of times. I've been there in a while. Um, but like the audiences I used to go there to talk to were, you know, people listening to podcast at giant bomb or waypoint. And I'm sure there will be some people in the crowd that are longtime fans of my work that just want to see me talk about whatever it is, but it's an opportunity to talk to a brand new different audience of faces that I don't know and people, um, that I haven't interacted with before. And, um, I'm, I'm really excited about that. Well, what's even cooler and probably surreal about that is some of the people, those longtime fans in the audience are parents now themselves. Yeah, uh, no, that's that is definitely you. Um, you know, you see, uh, you know, uh, pseudonyms in the Twitch channel that then you see a subscription come through and it's like, I know that I know that name. <laughs> I've, you know, and then it turns out, yes, like, hey, I was I've been following you since you were in your mid 20s. Now we're both in our, you know, mid to late 30s and. I've got a kid now too. And so, I mean, that was also one of my uh, kind of operating theories was that, you know, I've, I've 
had a lot of people. I've been grateful and lucky enough to people follow my work for a very long time. Some of those people have grown up alongside me, that we are similar ages, and and that if I have kids, probably a decent amount of them have kids too. And if you're asking someone to pay, you know, eight bucks a month, I don't pretend that's that's cheap. Um, um, I, I don't pretend that's not nothing. Um, if they already know that I've done work that they've enjoyed in the past, hopefully that will grant us a certain amount of trust that I'm going to make that money worthwhile. I am not just taking it and running, but I am, well, I'm taking it and I'm running, but I'm running to do hopefully good work that you're enjoying. <laughs> taking it and running it to run a site. To um, Disneyland. Yeah. And then also <laughs> running to Disney on the side, but, and I'm sure, and the thing is I will probably also write about Disney a lot. So it all, it all kind of feeds like back, back into it. Do you get to expense a bunch of kid stuff now? Cause like this is a company and you're doing it. Look, it's like a business yeah, I'm expense. still in the, I'm still in the midst of the business uh, side because we, um, like we stood up a, an LLC, a company for um, Remap because we knew we were able to actually take our subscriber base out of Vice and sign that into a new company. So we sort of knew we had a financial floor um, that we were working with. Um, and then that did better than we could have expected. And then Crossplay has done really well relative to my expectations where it was like, oh, okay, this isn't just something fun I'm doing for the summer while my severance is tied up in bankruptcy court. I, I think this might actually be my job now. And then, yes, you start to have a lot of conversations where, <laughs> Patrick, have you heard about an S-Corp and the additional <laughs> things you can write off on that? And I was like, no. And then they tell you the things you can write off and you're like, wow, this feels like money laundering. And they're like, <laughs> it's legal. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> thanks for letting me know. But yes, it, it does... Um, it does expand the scope of like, now this is why I, I pay people that I can send an email to, to be like, is this an expense? Like, where does, where does this fit in? Like Patrick's getting audited a year from now. And, um, uh, no, but I'm, you know, it, it does, it really does. Like, I don't think I can expense a Disney trip. Um, but I might be able to expense a couple of meals if I blog about them. So <laughs> we'll see. There you go. What I was going to say when Nick was talking was like, not to turn your life into content, but I was like, I do look forward to the crossplay entries all about Disney World and increasingly gamified it is in a fun way. I was just there earlier this summer and all the app experiences and the like little virtual games you can play there. It'll be it'll be a fun lens to see it through. Yeah, I've not been there since they've added all that. And I do try really hard. You know, I'm uh, my kids watch a lot of you know, YouTube, YouTube kids, and they watch a lot of families in those videos. And I'm very, part of the reason I didn't write about my kids pr like prior was a deep, like, I don't want my kids to Google themselves or whatever AI they're using in 10 years to, to like look <laughs> up their name and then suddenly discover, hey, you know, my, my, I didn't, they didn't choose to have a journalist as a father. And then they didn't choose to have a journalist as a father that wanted to write about parenting of games. And so I, I tried to establish some really clear boundaries for myself on how I talk about my kids, how I write about my kids. Uh, for example, I don't, I don't use their names in um, any of my writing. They're not present anywhere. I'm sure, you know, I've mentioned them on pot, like a pot, like a pot, like it slips through every once in a while, but in terms of things that would be searchable, the kinds of things that I don't know, like friends of theirs as they get older could look up. Um, I, I try to be mindful. I don't use I don't use pictures of them on the internet. You have one of them, like that's one picture. I was like I picked one that was like a very cute picture of me, the two of them, 
And also that was from several years ago. And so like they both look pretty different um, at this point. And so just one moment in time as opposed to regularly featuring them. And so what I try to do is I, I try to strike a balance between experiences I'm having as a parent and how can I talk about those in a uni- in both a specific context that is my experience in a universal context that can speak to other people's experiences, but doesn't feel like I'm mining my children for content. Um, and, fr- and, fun- and funny enough, um, I, I don't have the specifics of the law in front of me, but I, uh, Illinois has been like very, it's where I live outside of Chicago, very aggressive of passing various laws uh, related to digital technology and security. And I, again, I don't know the specifics, but they just did pass a law that like essentially if you are running a family YouTube channel where your children are like one of the primary actors in it, like you are by law forced to set aside sums of money proportional to what you're doing um, uh, related to them. Now, because they're not featured in my content in that way, I, I don't think that applies to me. But d- do know, children, if you're listening to in the future, like this is how your college is like whatever I can afford to pay, which I'm not guaranteeing all of it. I've looked at the numbers, <laughs> but stuff like that is what ends up, you know, uh, funneling into being able to at least help them with some of it <laughs> down the line. So I'm curious with your writing and reporting experience, turning, like you said, you, you set the guidelines for yourself about what you will and won't, you know, write about your children, how you'll write about them. Just in the writing process in general, what has it been like? being more personal in your writing has that required any retraining or was it kind of freeing to be able to write in that way regularly uh it's a challenge because um the nature of sort of like the creator economy um where you know i started as a pretty traditional journalist like went to school for um well, went to school to drink and then also in theory to get a <laughs> print journalism along the way, but one might've been more important to me than the other during those four years. But, um, it, uh, you know, I, where a bylines didn't matter that much. Um, people were reading more of the words than they were the person who wrote them. And what's changed over 20 plus years is that the increasingly the byline or the person matters, frankly, more than what's the, what they're saying or what they're doing. People are interested in investing and backing and supporting the person. And they're like, well, I'm sure that person will make something interesting. Uh, I'm just interested in supporting, you know, what they do. Um, And the more personal you are about your life, like the more people are willing to pay. People are, 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 are get very easily connected, the more personal uh, and and more uh, detailed you are about your personal life. And so I try to strike a balance where, I, I understand that as part of the equation and the relationship and that I'm, you know, I like to have a personal life. I don't, I don't want my entire life to be on display for, uh, you get to know more about me because you pay to get access to it. And, and even though my life has transitioned to a world where I'm participating in this creator economy, where it's more about my being personally interesting and likable or however you want to describe it. And then people find what stuff I'm making out of there that they, they find, they find then valuable. Um, but I do try to keep lines still there where, um, there are boundaries that I, or red lines that I, that I won't cross. Um, I mean, I've had blogs on crossplay where I had an experience with my child, like jotted it down in a, in like the notes app, like, Oh, this might be interesting to write about. And 
get two paragraphs in and it's like, this is too, this is too personal. Like, especially with my seven year, like almost seven year old, like she's getting old enough that I have to respect. She can have experiences and those should just be her experiences or an experience that like her and I had. And so I have had times where I do think this is a relatable parenting experience, but I didn't feel comfortable sharing it. Um, and then just turned my attention elsewhere. Is there any temptation to it for lack of a better word, to put her to work where you just like, <laughs> this is her review. You know, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I, th- I think she would in, I did, I have been meaning to, when I do interviews to ask her to give me some questions. Um, uh, and cause the to- the Toka games are like, she loves them. And I was like, ah, I should have, I should, I should have done that. Um, um, just cause it, more, cause I think she would find it funny and interesting more than, um, uh, it's like particularly great content for, for crossplay or whatever. But, um, no, like she has shown up on streams before that I've done at remap because I don't have, I don't lock the door to my office and she'll come back from school and then just waltz in. And now she knows what I do. So she'll sneak <laughs> up behind me and try and scare me. And like, look, I'm not I'm not trying to completely hide them from the world. I'm just trying to be mindful of the fact that like she doesn't when she walks behind me and there's a camera and a light on. She knows I'm like doing a video. But, like she doesn't know like 800 people are watching. Like she, she she's seven. Like she can't grasp what that is. And so my relationship with her and her relationship to the work I do, I think will change as she gets older and she can more meaningfully kind of consent to like a participation in that. Like, of course it sounds like it would be very fun. Like when super Mario wonder comes out later this year to like play that with her. And I think people would be delighted to watch this. She's, she's very funny. Like it would be a very good stream. She's like, <laughs> I don't know that seven's it, you know, I don't know what that age is. Um, but it's not seven, at least not for me. Um, and so I am int- the one thing this site does not have that I wish it had more of. And I've thought about this as I've tried to kind of sketch out what a like a podcast version of Crossfire might look like. Is I wish there were more voices from actual children on the site. Um, I just don't think I'm willing to have it be <laughs> my kids um, <laughs> be the voices on there. I have once or twice like recorded them on like the voice memo app on my, on my phone. And then I've, I've like included the audio to try to give people a sense of like how they're talking about a thing. Like I did a, I think one of the launch blogs that I did for, for crossplay was I was playing a game with my youngest and she had had, it wasn't RSV, but it was like one of those like just horrible viruses. And it lasts six days. It made the entire house not sick, but just miserable because of how sick she felt. And I was playing a game when I could tell her fever broke, like because she started laughing in a way that she had not in six days. And it was during the game that I would I like she laughed and I was like, that's odd. You have not done that in almost <laughs> a week. And then I checked her temperature. and I was like, oh, my God, your fever finally broke. Um, and so when I realized that I recorded a couple like like, you know, 45 seconds of her laughing to give people a sense like, well, like, I mean, this is what I mean by like the guttural laugh that told me she didn't feel sick anymore. And that's kind of like, as far as I was willing to go in terms of kind of like presenting, presenting them in, in stuff that I'm doing. But um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I would, I would like to get more children involved. And so I've had, I've started having conversations with folks in the community where it's like, 
hey, would you trust me or could I trust you to ask your kids some questions? And maybe that could be featured on the site um, or in a podcast in some way. And so I'm still navigating that. I think that's the one thing that the site is really missing is actual voices from kids in some in some fashion. But I still need to kind of figure out how I do that, what's the most ethical way to do that, and and I'm kind of still working out the, the kinks on it. Whenever my well, son then hopefully, starts talking, you gotta <laughs> number one, he's ready. Just get the recorder out and and yeah. let me know, and I'll. I'll it's gonna be I'll so weird how much he loves Diablo Four. So weird. <laughs> <laughs> E3 2029 rolls around. Nick's kid will be there, a little reporter, just <laughs> mm-hmm. on the ground. Uh, yeah. hey, look, you know, I'm. If, if uh, when we go to Nintendo Live at, at PAX um, and she's in her little Princess Peach uh, dress, like, and we saw Doug Bowser walking around, I'm going to march her. I was like, go ask him some questions. Ask him why there's not better screen time controls on the Switch. Go, he'll answer <laughs> you. He won't tell me, but he might tell you. Uh, well, she's your one of the, horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of the reasons I was most excited about the recording of this episode, of course, was Nick, father of a you know a young child, and I want to open the floor up to Nick to ask Patrick, who's a bit more seasoned of a a gamer dad, if you will, uh, any questions about you know the the gaming slash parenting experience. I, I guess just to kick it off and then I'll throw it to Nick. Patrick, what was your kid's first introduction to video games or some of their first introductions? Of me trying to hide them from them as much <laughs> as possible. Um, and frankly, the reason for that was I spend all day thinking about video games. And I have done that for, I'm 38. Right. So if I if I I was playing video games before I was 14, but I was, you know, covering them in earnest, being paid as a 14 years old, like like 24, like it's too it's too long. And I still like doing it. It's very gratifying. I'm very lucky to have this career. But it's like sometimes when I'm, I'm done at 430 or five, I just want to turn the computer off and I don't need to then switch into well, I'm done with the video games on those screens. <laughs> time to do video games on those screens with my kid. And so my approach was, and it uh, kind of went hand in hand with, um, it is very cool to have hobby, your hobbies intersect with your children. But it was also very cognizant of part of the reason I was, I was excited to have kids. Part of the reason I was excited that I had two girls was I want you, to, I want these kids to introduce me to things I don't, I don't already know everything about. Um, and so my desire was like, if they are going to be fans of video games, it is impo- like it is around them everywhere. I am not going to have to say, Hey, have you heard about this video game thing? Um, <laughs> it was just going to happen. And so for me, it was like, I kind of put it off as long as possible. I didn't like, it's not really hiding as much as I wasn't pushing it. I wasn't like, eh, eh, like this video games. Cause it was impossible to hide because I was, you know, when they were busy doing something, I'd be loading up a game trying to sneak in 30 minutes so that I could talk about it on a podcast or, or write a story about it. And so it's part of my life and your kids are going to become interested in the things you're interested in, regardless of whether you're making a conscious effort of it. So it sort of just happened kind of naturally. Um, and uh, I mean, frankly, the her entryway into games had far more to do with the influence of uh, videos you would sh- she would see on YouTube kids. Um, so it's like, why do we start playing Minecraft? Because she watched other people play Minecraft. 
why did we start um, playing Roblox? Because she was watching videos of people playing Roblox. And so for her, like a lot of her game curation or even game interest started with what was she watching other people do on YouTube and then ask me questions about like, how, how do I get to do that? And that, that became, that really became the path that set her on to wanting to play and experience video games was um, seeing people playing them, whether it was like just raw game. Like sometimes I would just watch her. It's just a let's play no commentary of like new Super Mario Brothers. You it's like, is anyone talking? No, it's just, it's just the game. Okay. Well, like whatever floats your boat while you're eating your lucky charms, <laughs> like Godspeed. You, you, uh, you said the R word, which is Roblox and I'm terrified of Roblox. Um, <laughs> yeah, you should be. Absolutely. Uh, terrified. Should be. I should, I, I, that was my next question. I should be. Okay, great. Um, well, like it, it just appears to have such a hold on uh my my nephews my my cousins kids who i interact with a lot my friends kids who interact with a lot like does that scare you i don't i don't even know like is it scary it's scary to me that there feels like almost like a monopoly um that roblox is building here and is there hope for kids video games beyond the Borg that is Roblox? Uh, yes, yes. Um, so Roblox is like best viewed as a social platform that happens to have games. Um, uh, because often what constitute a game in Roblox could be very rudimentary. Oftentimes it's, um, you know, whatever they just. So the reason my kid got into it at a younger age than I probably would have like allowed slash introduced it more naturally was that she became best friends with a girl down the block that was three years older than her. And so one of the things that we deal with all the time is her being introduced to ideas, games, movies, whatever, probably earlier than we would have introduced it. But um, that's what her best friend is into. And so then we try and navigate our way around that in a way that feels, uh, feels good for her. And so, Roblox was like she got into it in the midst of COVID and it was like a way to like hang out with this girl who became a very increasingly central part of her life. And they quote played Roblox, but a lot of what they were doing was just goofing around and talking and being <laughs> silly in the way kids would be on the phone. But they would like jump from Roblox experience from is like, oh, let's go find a Five Nights at Freddy's one. Oh, let's go find like there were times where they were playing mine quote Minecraft in Roblox because you can just search mm -hmm. a topic and someone has made something themed around it or a rudimentary version of that experience uh, in there. And it's, it's really no similar than like channel surfing, but you're just, you're just checking, checking out something that's in, in Roblox. And so the, the, the rays that Roblox are, are, are spooky is that it's like, it's very predatory when it comes to its microtransactions. Um, it's, very upfront about wanting to it's just you go to any experience and it's just people sticking out their hand going mm -hmm. money give me money <laughs> um and so we don't really let her spend money in there but she is allowed to spend the money she earns in there um for us it's she's old enough to if you would like to waste five dollars <laughs> you can you can like you can waste that five dollars but she's choosing to make the decision to to spend that money. Um, uh, and so uh, it's also a really good, it's also, they're called Robux and Roblox, which is their in-game currency. And it's also a really good uh, incentive and uh, incentivizing mechanism where like, for example, at our, um, 
our swimming pool, uh, which is, you know, most of these are about to close, like coming up on Labor Day, even though it's a hundred <laughs> degrees out right now. Um, uh, that uh, she's probably a little young for the biggest diving board, not from a swimming perspective, but just because it's high. Um, and I told her, like, hey, you can have like $10 in Robux if you jump off that thing. You don't have to. <laughs> like, it's totally cool. You definitely don't have to. But like, maybe you get $10 in Robux. She's like, really? I'm like, really? Do I have to do just once? I'm like, just once. And she got up there and she jumped off. She jumped off that diving board and then did it like seven more times. Um, and so, you know, <laughs> uh, it's a blessing and a curse. You can use it as a very heavy handed incentivization mechanism for your children <laughs> to, to ask them to be brave sometimes. And on the other hand, they might be spending five dollars on a T-shirt they can only use in one game and not take anywhere else. And you're like, mm, I don't know that that was worth the five dollars that you just spent. But um you know, it's like anything else. Um, just use the thing. Um, um, like sign up for it. I play with her less so these days. Um, but early on, I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna sign up for Roblox. I'm, I'm just gonna, and I'm gonna be in there and play co-op with you. And I'm gonna try and understand what this world is so that I know <clears throat> some sense of what you're doing and some sense of where, like, where do I want to draw red lines in terms of what you can and cannot do? What are the restrictions I can put in place? Uh, in terms of like who you're chatting with and if you can add friends and like it's like anything else you kind of just get in the mud with them um so you have a better sense of it and then part of what i try to do with crossplay is okay you don't have to get this far in the mud i'll go get like sopped in it and then i come out of the mud and tell you here's what i learned <laughs> you don't have to do all this and and that's kind of my philosophy and a lot of the stuff that i do on, on crossplay is um I, my, the best advice I can still give to people is just use the thing that you're scared of so you understand what it is um, and can wrap your head around it. And then for me, it's like, let me do that deeper dive that you don't have the time for so that I can make your life easier when you're investing your own time to understand. I love it. Um, how how surprised or were you surprised as someone who's like been in the industry, you've been around this industry for 20 years? Um, when you started doing this or introducing your kids to video games, do you feel like you like knew about what kids were playing or you had to go find that somewhere or you were learning about it from your children or all of the above? Yeah, I don't uh, uh, like kids. I mean, it's 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 not too dissimilar to like how many video games are out there right now that have tens of millions of players and like they don't get written up on any of the video game websites, right? Like there are so many games that have enormous player bases that sort of get ignored or just, it is not understood how popular they are. And I think that is true for kids stuff as well. And it was part of like satisfying my own curiosity of like, what are, what are kids doing? Like, what are they playing? Like, what are they being, what are they being drawn to? Because I think it's probably something more than just the new Paw Patrol game. Um, now that that doesn't, you know, represent like, like sort of like a branded interactive versions of properties that kids are interested in represents like one data point. But, like, what are they doing elsewhere? And like, what are they getting up to when they go to those places? Um, and then what should parents know about what's happening uh, in those places? And so it's been very enlightening to me to then tr try and discover what those are sifting through those things um, and, and trying them out uh, myself as I, as I kind of help myself like 
often I'm helping myself navigate it and then just imparting the lessons of what I learned while, while I did that and kind of putting that out in some sort of concise form. Through that experience, Patrick, have you found any games you're particularly fond of? Like I, I remember in the, the Hello Kitty write-up, you were like, oh, this actually kind of yeah. appeals to me more than Animal Crossing because it, it's got a bit more gamification to it or you know, no, some open world elements. Are there any other, you know, I, I, I guess the Exploding Kittens games too, any other examples of things you found through your kids that you, you're quite a fan of yourself? Yeah, the Hello Kitty uh, game is probably like the best... Uh, example of that because um, it's got a lot of reading and my, my child like second grade is kind of where reading solidifies itself and comprehension sort of like starts happening and so I think there'll be an opportunity to play games like that uh, with her in the future one really good example um, I haven't written about this at crossplay as much because I wrote about it at uh, waypoint um, uh, I believe the last like sort of like favorite games of the year I did, I think like my second favorite game that I wrote about for last year was Minecraft. And the reason I wrote that for like such an old game was that um, Minecraft is something that I always understood why it was popular, but I couldn't find any fun in it for me. Um, you know, I'm someone that growing up, if you gave me a stack of Legos, I just sort of stare at them. I didn't really know what to do with them. <laughs> But if you gave me a, like a directions to build like a pirate set, like off to the races, like that's very satisfying to me is to find the pieces, put them together, follow the directions. But just a make something like it just didn't it just didn't click for me. And so Minecraft is something I understood from afar, but really didn't have an intimate uh, knowledge of or I couldn't really find the fun for me. And then so when my kid got into it, it was really gratifying because they provided the structure that the game itself by design does not have. So I'd play with her mm. and she'd be like, Hey, go build a house. <laughs> and I was like, okay, it's almost like I now have an objective <laughs> marker up in the corner. That's like, go build a house. So it's like, what am I doing in this world where you can do everything? It's like, well, my kid wants a house built. I'm going to go build a house. And so that is an example of a game where playing with my child allowed me to better understand what other people get out of it and allowed me to find fun in a game that I otherwise like couldn't find my way into how about the alternative how about those times you jump in the mud and you come back and you're like don't go in that pit like it's scary <laughs> yeah i mean I, this is a topic that is i have not had a chance to write too much about yet it's one of my long-term projects that uh, hopefully soon it's kind of what i'm picking away at and that hopefully i'll have a kind of a holistic understanding of it eventually but it is i don't know like let's say your kid is suddenly into castles and so what you're going to do is you're going to go to the app store, whether on Android or on, on Apple's devices, and type in kids castles. And what you're going to get is a bunch of horrifying trash that uh, has some of the worst, like ad most the worst and like most exploitative ad implementation that you've ever seen. Like specifically, they call them touch targets in uh, like uh, touch devices where it's like, if you see an X, like what does it mean for you to touch that X? Is it actually touching the X? Is it like the size of your finger? Like how exactly is interpreting that? And these games, calling them games is generous because now, now I want to be derogatory <laughs> toward them because they really bother me, is they are meant by design so that kids can't really navigate them way out of their ads. And that they have to hand the device to their parents to understand how you get the ad to go away. And that eventually the parents will get so fed up navigating out of the ad that the, the kid cannot do it by themselves. 
that they'll pay the $7, which is always to make the ads go away. And that stuff, it drives me wild. Like for as many rules and regulations as a company like Apple has in their app store, the fact that they allow this stuff to seep through is maddening to me because it is just so clearly a, a poor, a deliberately poor experience to make parents upset and frustrated. And then just out of that frustration saying, just take whatever money you want so they can play this game again. Like, um, you know, like there was one time as a, as a music game, I can't remember what it was called. So I can't even, um, and this is it really, the specifics don't even matter that much because it's endemic to a lot of this stuff, but it's like every time they would fail the music game, which is like touching little tones or whatever, little little scrolls across the screen as a pop song would play. It's like, oh, you can keep playing if like you can make your way through this ad. And it's like my kid couldn't. Sometimes I had trouble doing it. And it's like, if I can't do it, then something's up. Like I understand sometimes developing UI for children uh, can be challenging because kids are very different at each age, you know, three, four, five, six, seven. Like they're so different along those A's track, but it's like, well, if I can't figure out how to get through it, like, you know what you're doing. Like, you're just there to make me upset. Um, and so I try <laughs> to avoid that stuff. Like you, you try to look for the good versions of those things, which is why like the Toka stuff is really great. Like there are lots of doll or playhouse centric games that are really poorly made and are meant to frustrate and create friction for the parents and for the children so that they'll just fork over cash. Whereas the Toka stuff, um, and games that are of that caliber, like they hold themselves to, they still charge you money for like new in, interactions in the, the things that they're building. But I don't feel like I'm, I feel good handing them money. Like I'm getting something good out of it as opposed to feeling like I have a gun to my head so that my, my kid will stop being mad at the app, not working how they wish it worked. How about, um, I have one, I have one more, Sam, sorry. Um, no go. I remember being a kid and playing video games and getting so upset whenever I lost. And what has your experience been like that with your kids? And like, has it been valuable or is it so they're so upset all of the time that like, it's not a valuable experience to coach them through. Like sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, you know? I mean, being a good, like modeling, like good, like losing behavior is important. And there are mm -hmm. lots of different ways um, you can do that. But I have been like kind of banging this drum ever since my oldest got into to games has been, like, I think there are like really good accessibility reasons to incorporate features like this, but also just as I've watched my kid try to understand navigating learning video game mechanics, navigating 3d spaces is just, I just wish I could turn off death in like most games because <laughs> it's less that they're in a bad mood as a result of losing as much as when all of us were growing up, it's like, okay, if I'm mad at the game for getting a game over, um, it's not like I have like 800 options of other things to do. The game is here. <laughs> now kids have, just an endless supply of other things they could be doing that are varying degrees of just filling time or compelling, like fulfilling experiences. And so what I found uh, over and over is that these sort of like traditional game over friction that, ex that exists in games to provide like a skill arc and to provide tension um, ends up just being 
you know, my, my kid will die in a game and goes like, well, cool. Like, I don't want to do that sequence again. Like I'm going to go do something else that like has less friction. Um, and I, I, I've desperately wished over and over from more games to just like, Hey, like, let me make the call. Like, I'm not trying to, uh, parent a kid that doesn't understand a consequence and failure. I just want to tune that as we go along. We're like, she doesn't understand how to jump over a gap in this game. <laughs> so let me just turn off the consequence for that so they can just keep going. Cause for me, what I need want her to do is to understand how to get across that gap, not have like a, a game over screen appear that sends her back five minutes to get back to that gap. And so games that understand like that relationship that young children not only have with video games as they're trying to understand them, but sort of like understands more holistically that, Hey, you're not necessarily the center of their lives. Like they can go do other things. So find ways to have them get versed in the, ter the terminology at the rhythm of video games. I mean, I think Disney's most recent, uh, I think Disney Island illusion is what it's called on, on switch is a really good example of a game understanding this kind of audience where um, not only do they have the very like uh, new Mario uh, game, sort of like centric uh, mechanic where uh, like if a player runs ahead of another player, uh, they can uh, like, they'll just catch up later. Like, Hey, it's cool. Like, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter that you didn't make that gap. It's not a game over screen. Cause no, not everyone made it there. You'll just catch up with everyone else. Um, especially if you have like a parent who is, sort of leading the charge. But like there's this other um, mechanic they have in there where you can, let's say you're, uh, there's a, a platforming sequence where you got to get across, you know, like two st uh, still platforms. And then the third one is the moving one. And your kid just cannot get across that third moving one. Well, there's a rope and you can set, you can drop the rope at the edge of that platform where that you've just finished and they can jump up it. And they're still like navigating to something, getting to the other side it's not as though they're hitting the, like a, a kind of cheat button, which is like, I guess I'll just catch up. You know, I didn't get to do the thing. They still do a thing. They get to get to the other side with you in a different way. And in talking to the developers about designing that feature, you know, originally they had put a lot of restrictions on it. Like, oh, the rope doesn't, could only go down so far. Oh, the rope is only can be used a couple of times per level. And like every time they would put that into the game and then play test it and they discover like why like why are we even putting the restrictions here like what who are we servicing by only letting the rope go halfway who are we servicing by only letting you do the rope three times in a level and they just kind of like chipped away at it and chipped away at it until they arrived at just including features that just broadly let people play how and really meeting people where they are um and I wish I wish more games did that. Yeah, that it, I know not exactly a kid's game, but it reminds me of the accessibility features in Celeste um, that mm -hmm. really let you tweak and tune like how high you jump or like how slow the game speed is. Makes me wish those options were around. This whole conversation has made me nostalgic about like when I asked my dad to help me with games growing up, like. Um, I'm curious. I'd love to hear if either of you have stories similar. Like, remember, like Sly Cooper, there was um, a gate lifting mechanic. Uh, you'd playing as Murray the hippo, and you'd have to bash like the square button to lift the gate up. And I just my fingers couldn't move fast enough at whatever age I was. So I would have my dad come in to beat that section for me, just so I could advance to the game. And I know nowadays that most of those kind of quick time events 
if they're found in games at all, can be turned off. Um, so it's cool to see that progression, but uh, makes me think of those days. What about either of you? My dad, I asked my dad for help with video games and he was like, I'm sorry, with what? Go outside. <laughs> um, and so, so no, not really. Um, what, uh, what sprung to me when, when Patrick was talking about it was uh, the newest Final Fantasy. And all of the like, like, oh, you can't figure out the combo mechanics? Like put on this ring. Oh, you can't figure out that? Like, all right, there's another ring for dodging. Or like, here's another ring for like auto healing or whatever it is. Um, and thinking through the ways that Square put in, it's one difficulty mode, but there are 17 different ways you can mess with the difficulty to essentially auto-complete a lot of it. Um, and it's interesting because you also use that one as like an example of like, oh no, my kids can't play that. <laughs> they have kind of some of those mechanics. <laughs> well, it's funny because uh, uh, I actually don't the swearing and stuff like, you know, and you'll, you'll encounter this, like you gotta look, the path is you just swear in front of your kids and teach them that it's bad because if you don't swear in front of your kids, then they think it's like really funny and they do it all the time. Whereas like my kid, <laughs> we have a swear jar in our house and the swear jar is for me and my wife. It is not for like my kids swearing. She's like, Oh, you said the F word again. Like, put a quarter in the jar, like, and then she gets to spend that money. And it's, it's very funny. Um, <laughs> and yeah, like, I mean, yeah, there are definitely, uh, times where like my, my kid learned how to navigate 3d spaces and like in Roblox. Um, and that's a game with a virtual analog stick and buttons, the kinds of things that a lot of people who grew up with traditional games and controllers would look at with uh, disdain and scorn. Um, <laughs> and yet that's the way that most people interact with Roblox is not with a controller on an Xbox or a PC, but is like using these, these rudimentary uh, digital sticks and buttons. And what was remarkable was watching her play a game like Super Mario 3d world with me, which is like a very co-op friendly uh, game. Um, and just having a lot of trouble getting around uh, as accessible as that game like is. Um, it still has like you still have to learn a certain language of how the controller works and how the physics works. And it just didn't quite click for her. And then she got very into Roblox. And then when we went back to Super Mario 3D World at a later time, you could see everything she learned from Roblox translate directly into Super Mario mm. 3D World. And so that's just like a very unique new kind of loop for like how you're going to understand spaces and, and, and she could tell like the, the increased sort of fidelity that she got in using an analog stick, like a real one that you can't appreciate. till you're actually using that, but she didn't have kind of like the innate knowledge of like, what does it mean to like jump across a platform until she did it, you know, hundreds of times in, in Roblox. Nice. Well, we've covered a lot of ground on crossplay today, Patrick. Is there any other elements of the community or your writing that you wanted to talk about that we haven't touched on yet? No, I think I think we hit on a lot of it. Um, I'm I'm really grateful for the interest and and the support, and it's been very invigorating personally to have this like kind of new kind of vein to tap into. Just like so many new topics and ideas, and to be part of people like some of the most personal part of people's lives, and to be contributing. Uh, meaningfully to that is very personally uh, rewarding. And so now I appreciate uh, the interest from everyone who's subscribed, whether you're a free subscriber or a paying subscriber, like all are welcome. Um, or even you just share it with someone like that's honestly the best thing people can do is uh, like 
if you have a family member or a friend or someone who you think might be interested to to pass along the link and and see if they'll they'll sign up. I've it's, it's always very gratifying to watch people gift a subscription to somebody else, uh, thinking that they they might be interested. So uh, no, it's uh, uh, I, I'm very grateful for for all the folks who've supported Crossplay so far, and including the the both of you uh, inviting me on here to to blab around about it for for an hour and change. It's been fun. Patrick, uh, speaking of which, where can all our listeners and viewers out there find Crossplay? Uh, you can uh, subscribe uh, over at Substack. Uh, you can get there at patrickklepik.substack.com or crossplay.news. Both of those will take you in the direction over there. Um, the way it's kind of structured is that any of my like kind of news or feature reporting, um, that is just, that's free. You get that, it's just for signing up, doesn't cost a thing. Um, some of the more personal blogs and, uh, and observations. That's the kind of stuff that ends up behind the, the paywall. But if you're j- like anything, like how do screen time features work? Like what's happening in Roblox? Like that's all free. And so, you know, um, if you just want to read it uh, and you uh, don't have the means to support it financially, you're good. Just sign up and you'll get all of those in your inbox um, two to three times a week. Um, and if you're looking for more traditional stuff, like what do I think about Final Fantasy 16? Um, I'm uh, over at uh, Remap. Uh, Remap Radio is our kind of our flagship podcast. Uh, you can sign up uh, and support us. We're now a completely fan-funded, uh, crowd-funded endeavor over at remapradio.com. And I'm equally grateful for all the stuff that's happening over there because it's uh, it's allowed me to continue doing a job that I thought I might have been at the, the end of uh, and then looking for something different to do in the games industry. But... I'm I'm fortunate to fortunate or unfortunately, twenty plus <laughs> years later, I can't I can't shake it. I'm I'm going to be doing it for at least the foreseeable future. Well, we're glad you're still doing it. Actually, on the day this episode releases, uh, if anybody's riding the Armored Core Six hype, I know you can go to Twitch.tv/slash Remap Radio and watch the crew playing Fires of Rubicon on release day. Yeah, you can. Are watch you excited? Me, Will uh, you be part of that? I am, yes. Uh, Renata Price, one of my colleagues, is going to help me rebuild my mech so that I can try and figure out how to beat the chapter one boss uh, in that <laughs> game. So, uh, And she's much more versed in the world of mech games and customizing them. So hopefully we can... I mean, I don't know if I'll beat that boss, but you'll be able to see me. Uh, <laughs> if my child was watching, the swear jar would be filling up. Um, but thankfully, <laughs> she, she will not be. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Uh, Patrick, is there anything else you want to promote or places people can find you? No, I think that, that co- otherwise I'm on whatever social platform has allowed me to put a handle on. Threads, Blue Sky, Mastodon, Twitter, which I'll just keep calling it that. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of trying to be wherever folks are like kind of whatever platform you're, you're calling <laughs> home. Um, I've got, I've got, uh, a spot there and I'll be, uh, I kind of, a lot of my personal, like everyday thoughts end up on Twitter, but the links to all the work that I'm doing, um, will appear there. Um, uh, so if you're like, just want to follow along with sort of the different blogs that are getting posted, different stories getting posted, you can follow me on your platform of choice. I love it. Well, you can find all of those links in the description of this episode. You can find this podcast everywhere at Real Time Strats, including on the app that I will still call Twitter. Um, you can find us on YouTube there as well. Email us questions at podcast at triplepointpr.com. Patrick, once again, thank you so much for your time. This has been a pleasure. And thank you all so much for listening. <laughs>